When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No one around me outside of my wife knew I even had a problem, mm. you know, so you didn't see it on me. Um, I could see it on me. My wife could see it on me, but you didn't, the average person wouldn't see it on me. I, I was still in our house with our kids, you know, uh, everything was still again, outwardly, everything was fine, you know, so there was no bottom for anyone else to see. The bottom was, was inside. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. I'm Knocking Doors Down with Dan Carity, American TV personality, actor, producer, dancer, and choreographer. Dan has worked with some of the biggest names in pop music, such as Jessica Simpson, Britney Spears, Kylie Minogue, and in sync, also appearing on So You Think You Could Dance. But what you may not know about Dan is he was suffering in silence with alcoholism. As a matter of fact, the only other person on the planet that even knew this was his wife. Dan not only gives insight into his personality and really where he thinks his alcoholism took off, but we also discuss his podcast, If I'm Being Honest which he talks with other individuals who have overcome addiction and or are advocates for addiction recovery. And hey, while you're checking knocking doors down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. Right now, I am wearing my new 5150 hat, warm weather jacket. As well, I got my new 5150 joggers on. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150 LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And of course, I said it helps within the community. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. Dan Carity, thank you for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's good to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure. We've, we, you know, talking before, we've got so many uh, mutual acquaintances here. So uh, it was bound to happen. Um, and I'm loving the podcast. We'll talk more about, if I'm being honest, your podcast. And I love that you're out there doing that. But uh, let's start a uh, little, little gratitude. Uh, I'm a gratitude list guy. Three things you're grateful for today. Oh, uh, 
grateful for my family, uh, always first, um, you know, after, after being so unavailable to them for so long, um, you know, grateful for that, grateful for my physical abilities, um, you know, able to get up and hit the gym and run the way I do, um, even after how poorly I treated my body for so long, um, you know, that's, that's a blessing every day. Um, and grateful for opportunities like this, uh, how you just said, you know, the mutual friends and stuff. My man, was I a lonely, lonely person for a long time, uh, with, it felt like nobody and how my community just grows every single day of, of people I can connect with just to say, what's up? Or did you see the giant game, uh, to man, I'm having a bad day and I need to talk, you know, it's, I feel like I'm surrounded by like-minded people now who, uh, who are always there if I need them. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Um, I, you know, with the work I was telling you about at the nonprofit, you know, so many people, you know, Oh, my son's sober. It's great. I'm going to, you know, make sure he's connected because the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connectivity. Make sure that they're involved. And I can mirror what you say. I never thought I would have people that would show up, let alone that I would show up for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, when I have these, especially these nights where if my wife's busy out of town on work or if she's out with friends or doing something and I put the kids to bed and I sit there and, you know, those are the nights I'll go through my phone and just search for people. Like, you know, I keep a list of people to stay connected to. And I'm like, Oh man, I haven't talked to her in a while or him in a while. And I'll just reach out to them just to say hello and see how they're doing. And for me to do that is the strangest thing in the world <laughs> because I didn't want to do that with my own wife or family members, you know, let alone, <laughs> people, some who I've never even met in person, you know, it's, but I just that, that, that want to connect and stay connected and, and reach out and see how people are doing and, and hear how they're doing, like actually listening when, when they talk, um, which is not something I ever did or understood why, you know, listening and, yeah. and caring what someone had to say. Um, sounds so simple, but it was so foreign to me. Oh yeah, no. It's like actually sitting and listening, huh? And you don't want my you don't want my all-knowing opinion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, how did that? I mean, you know, for people that don't know Dan, I mean, you know, the intro I gave a, you know, talked about your your high achieving career in choreography, t TV, of course, uh, you know, all those appearances. Did it kind of play into that? You know, I've had some foyers into, quote unquote, you know, the Hollywood life and things like that. And a lot of it can be so surface. Yeah, it it can, um, you know, and I use that as an excuse forever. Um, I loved talking about the reason I don't hang out with anyone in Hollywood is because they're so superficial. You know, um, you can't make, you know, I lived in LA for 12 years and I didn't make any friends because you can't be friends with people there. They're all fake. All right. And that's a cop out. That's that's I, I didn't search the right people out. Of course, there's people like that in Hollywood, but I think there's people like that in any business in in any walk of life. Right. So 
I didn't take the time to search the right people out that I wanted to connect to. Um, I cut myself off. Uh, so, you know, I use that as, as an excuse, but I didn't have any people in my life, whether they were from home where I grew up or any of the various places I lived or anything, you know, it's, I cut myself off from, from the world. Um, and it wasn't until I entered rehab, um, and, and was surrounded by these guys who didn't know me from anything, who were trying to talk to me and ask me how I'm doing and, you know, ask me all these different questions. And I'm like, why do all these people care? You know, why do they care about me? <laughs> and it was so awkward at first, but I started to realize that they were coming from a good place and, and everybody was just trying to help each other. And, you know, that was, that was weird for me, but, you know, I had cut all of that off from my life for, for, decades did you start in reflection notice that some of those personality traits of cutting people off or only getting so far with them started earlier than the alcoholism because i often can tell i tell people i'm a i was an alcoholic before i was an alcoholic yeah it's it's strange um you know, I come from a family. I'm the youngest of five kids. Um, I have two awesome parents who are still with us. Um, you know, they still live in our childhood home. We still all go there for Christmas. Um, you know, it's we we're we are a great family. Um, and we were always there for each other and really loving and supporting um household. But it wasn't brought to my attention until a couple years ago that we never talked about anything outside of politics and sports, you know, <laughs> and like, how's your job going? Right. We, we never checked in to see how each other was actually doing. Um, you know, when I look back to, you know, uh, sad moments where family members passed away, grandparents passed away aunts and uncles that passed away, that was not discussed. It was, you know, if we went to the funeral, which we always didn't do, but if we did, it was like, we went to the funeral, we got in the car, we went home, and that was never talked about again. Hmm. You know, we never dove in to anything. Um, so even my own brothers and sisters, there was a lot I didn't know about them. You know, so in 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 starting to look at the relationships I I had built over the years with my so-called friends who were great people um, and past relationships I had, you know, girlfriends in my life, I never took the time to get to know them at all, uh, you know, below the surface. And I didn't let them in at all. They knew nothing about what was going on with me on the inside. You know, so that was how I how I operated and I was completely unaware of it. Um, you know, I would have told you that my family and I, we couldn't possibly be closer, you know, and, and all my relationships in my life were unbelievable, you know, but I didn't realize until, till I got sober, um, how surfacy all these relationships were and started to question if I ever had any real friends, not because of them, but because of me.
boy, you gave me the chills, Dan. I'm like, <laughs> shit, this guy's telling my story here. Yeah. It sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, and it and it's so tough. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. I don't know about you, you know, from my parents, and as I've been journaling more lately, recognizing that, you know, my parents were only as old as parents as my brother was, who's four years older than me. And they came from a generation of a different level of emotional maturity, and they did the best and were ramping up. You know, how do you kind of reflect on that with your folks? Because your folks were high achievers, right? They were both Broadway dancers. Yeah, they were both Broadway dancers. Um, My mom, she gave up her career because she wanted to have a big family and wanted to be home. Uh, That was by choice. Um, My dad ended up searching for a more stable (laughs) job, became a successful stockbroker. Um, And then when I was about 12 or 13, they ended up opening up a dance studio that's been around for 35 years now um, that, you know, that they still still have and still run. Um, You know, my parents, as you were just kind of alluding to there, it's like my parents, I feel like, they did an awesome job in keeping us all safe, raising us all generally happy, keeping us all close. You know, as I said, we were all close. We all loved each other. We all took care of each other. Um, And I think they did the best they could with what they knew. You know, it's as you talk about journaling, as I'm journaling, um, reliving parts of my life, I, I have, rediscovered all these moments that my dad dropped in little life lessons along the way that I should have paid more attention to, but I didn't because my dad in his way, it wasn't this long heartfelt conversation. It was, he just found a moment to, you know, drop a little knowledge on me, but then it it was gone. You know, and it was kind of what I chose to do with it or not. And unfortunately, I didn't do much with it at that time. Um, You know, so like my parents were always there. Anytime I was in a jam, they were there for all of us. You know, Um, they just they didn't connect with their parents on a deeper level. And so they didn't connect with us on that level. It was like, you know, if you fall down, you get hurt, you get up and you keep going. it was very much in my household, like we, what do you have to complain about? Because it's true. We grew up, I didn't go without, I always had the new Jordans, you know, I, 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 I had whatever I wanted. So it was kind of smile and keep going. You know, life's not that difficult. Yeah. I, and it, it's interesting because I think you're a year or two older than me. 
And that same kind of thing, you know, my, my, I told you a little bit about my dad, but a high achiever, a guy that didn't finish high school, but built a multi-million dollar business, a trucking company. And, um, you know, my mom was very savvy too, travel agent when that was a thing that existed. And so it was that same kind of thing didn't go without. So I didn't think anything was missing, even though those feelings that I had quilled down inside, uh, insecurities, already negative self-talk, um, Gosh, so many, the people pleasing started very early in life. You know, uh, uh, I, I really should have pursued acting cause I, 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 you know, I should have stuck with it more, so to speak, because boy, <laughs> my acting skills were, were tested daily. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had developed this ability to, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's from the show business family or, if, or if it's being the youngest of five kids or probably a combination of it. But I always had that ability to walk into a room and to turn on whenever I had to, and to, you know, that term of, you know, sell yourself. I was always good at walking into a room and selling myself as uncomfortable as I may have felt doing it. I didn't like to do it. I would much rather walk into a room and go sit in the corner um, and, and that's how I was in school. It's it's how I've always been. It's how I was when I got to rehab. <laughs> it's how I was when I went to the bar. I was never the guy in the middle of the bar holding court. I was the guy sitting in the corner. Um, that's what I preferred. But I even even in my deepest worst addiction, I could still turn on and 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 entertain a crowd of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that confidence level of I can handle this room, but the insecurity level inside of what are they saying about me? Do they believe me? Do they think this is good? Like that would eat me alive while I was performing, right? And I'd find out later that everybody was like, oh man, he's so cool or he's so nice or he did such a good job. And so it would reassure me. But inside, I, I did not feel good. Yeah. Do you... I still struggle with that. I do some event hosting and, and MMA uh, ring announcing stuff, and I'll have people come up and man, such a great job, but I still have a tough time not going, ah, you're full of it. You don't need to BS me and be nice. I still struggle with that, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's strange, right? It's this, I don't know what it is now is like the difference I have now is I don't really care. <laughs> which is which is a beautiful place that I have found now is because I'm happy with myself now, which I have found in sobriety. I I have those moments still before I walk in a room or it, you know, I and which I think are normal anxiety moments before I enter into a situation. But now I'm just kind of like, hey, whatever. If they don't like me, it's not my problem. There's nothing I can do about that. And so I don't give a shit. It's kind, of, <laughs> it's, it's kind of where I'm at now, where before it was like, it used to stress me out, right? And even after whatever it was, the party or the TV show or whatever it was I was doing, oh, for hours and sometimes days afterwards, I would agonize over what the reaction was to, to what I did. Right. Um, and I couldn't get past it. I was so caught up in what everyone else thought about me not in how I thought I did, 
put in what everybody else thought about it, you know, and I'm happy I've been able to shed a good amount of that now. I might have to message you more often on some tips <laughs> on how to do that. It, it, and how did you handle maybe the things out of your control for, for those that maybe didn't catch it when I uh, did the intro? Um, I mean, you did choreography, uh, Britney Spears, in sync, Jessica Simpson. I'm, geez, I'm trying to think of all the other different stuff. But this is stuff where you did the choreography and either... I think primarily you did videos and then like, like award shows choreography. Yeah. Yeah. Like how did that leave you? Cause that's like, okay, I did all this. Don't screw it up. And it's out of your control. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I think it goes back to what we were talking about. I, I had the ability to walk in the room and take over if I needed to right? And run the rehearsals and teach the choreography and, and do my work. It was the moment the work ended and, you know, you're supposed to conversations with people. I can tell you, I built no relationships over all the years I worked in the business. I built no relationships. I kept working and got hired because of reputation. Oh, he did this. He did a good job on this, so let's hire him for that. But it, it was never, oh, you know what? I worked with Dan on this thing. We really liked him. Let me bring him on to this thing too, it's like, which is what normal people do. I didn't build any relationships because I never spoke to anybody. Like the moment, the moment rehearsal was over, bam, I was gone. I couldn't get out of there fast enough because huh. I didn't want to have a real conversation with you. I'm happy going in there and talking to you about what we're going to do for the performance, how we're going to make it happen. Here's what we need to do. You know, I could do all of that, but then just talk about, I don't know what's happening, what's going on. Like just the bullshit that I couldn't do and I wasn't comfortable doing it. So I didn't build any of those relationships. So, so I never hung around after the job was over. Um, so I never knew. And I was like, it, it was like that cycle, right? It was like, I was so worried what people thought about me, but I never hung around after the job was over to find out what people thought about me. <laughs> you know, it was like, right. it, it was just this terrible cycle I was in, but I couldn't get out of it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's easy to get down that path. Um, Gosh, I haven't even thought about this, but, you know, with radio broadcasting where you do a, a remote, a live broadcast and you're set up and stuff like that, I, I, I've I kind of listening to you reflect like, gosh, did people think I was a dick? You know, here it is. Come up. Great. You know, uh, spin the wheel or whatever it was Win the prize. Nice to meet you. And they're like, oh, I, I heard you went and saw Molly Crew the other day. Front row. What was it? You know, it's like, yeah, cool, man. You know, like yeah. in retrospect, you know, I was like, oh, that guy's a real dick. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I, I have no doubt. And a few people have told me in uh, in sobriety now, and I've had honest conversations. They were like, I just thought you were like an arrogant prick, you know, because we would film an episode of So You Think You Can Dance or Got Talent or something like that. And everybody hangs out afterwards. You know, it's it's what you do. The only way I was hanging out afterwards is if I was invited to a bar that I might do 
because I could, I know I could pound a few drinks, you know, feel a little more whatever, and then I can handle some of the conversation. But when it was like, oh, let's go have dinner or, you know, let's just hang out backstage and talk or something. Whoa, oh, I, I wanted nothing to do with that. And those people were like, what a dick. Like, he won't hang around and talk, you know? And even people I worked with when I was in my 20s, I recently have spoken with. And, um, you know, I said to them, you know, so I never hung around because of this. He's like, wow, man, that's interesting to know. I just thought you thought you were too good for us, you know? And and I realized that's how it came across. And it was it was the complete opposite of that. But as you said, that's that's how it looked. It's how they thought. Well, when they were protecting ourselves you know at some point i don't know about you you know i shared before we started uh, uh you know trauma like i was just stuck in a phase of protecting myself and the only time i thought that i was uh worth a damn to anybody was when i got like you said the those two or three drinks in me and then i could be on because nowadays dan i'm not on Unless it comes with a paycheck. And I just tell people that, like, you're going to get me, like, I'm kind of a subdued personality at times, but boy, you get a paycheck. All right, I'm going to get up there and I'll perform for you. <laughs> I'm in the I'm in the space right now where, and I love it, by the way, I hope I stay in this space, but I, I'm not, like, actively out seeking people to talk to all the time, whatever. I still... I really enjoy my alone time and just hanging at home with my family and stuff. But if I'm out, whether it's for work or it's personal or whatever it is, if you talk to me, man, I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you a lot, you know? And it's because as, as like we said, when we started this conversation, I like to listen and I like to hear about people and I ask them questions and I'm learning. And it's like, all this stuff that I didn't do for all these years is new to me and, and I'm really enjoying it. And, you know, as I think we all learn this in sobriety is if, if you show some vulnerability and you talk about some of your weaknesses or, you know, less than perfect things, people tend to really open up to you and, and share their own personal stuff. And, you know, I find myself in these amazing conversations with, whether it's moms and dads on the sideline of my daughter's soccer game, you know, or, or it is people backstage at work now or whatever. It's God, I'm, I'm, I'm meeting so many great people and, and really learning a lot of interesting life lessons from, from all of them. Here at knocking doors down, we share the stories of people who overcome adversity. You know that already, but what you may not know is that our partners at the Carlos Vieira Foundation aim to help people who struggle with their own adversities as well. The Carlos Vieira Foundation helps those in need through their race for autism, race to be drug free, and race to end the stigma campaigns. You can also choose the Carlos Vieira Foundation as your charitable organization on Amazon Smile to contribute as well. To learn more and support these causes, check out all the info at carlosvierafoundation.org. It, it's it's a real gift um that starts to come our way and i've had instances uh, like you're saying through that listening that that wow i can actually i struggled a little bit with the higher power not that i didn't believe in in, in a god or gods or you know a higher being i just struggled with thinking one loved me 
But now, like what you're saying, when you can listen and just be of service to someone, it could be minute, you know, yeah. and we can, uh, as a, as a, somebody that, that I was a binger of everything, uh, it, it's been a really good lesson to just do a little minute thing, you know, when, mm-hmm. when the neighbor's like, Hey, I'm going to be out of town. Can you take the garbage can to the curb for me? I don't have to any longer go take the garbage can, rake up all the leaves, mate. You know what? It's like, okay. He just <laughs> asked for the garbage can to go yeah. out. You yeah. know? Oh man. You know, and, and, so were you, were you like that in, in active addiction as well? Uh, yeah, I would binge. I was a binge everything. And it was if I was going to watch a movie and it was a series, I was going to watch them all. If it was reading the book, if it was a video game, I was going to play that thing till it was done. It's just I had to really quill myself as just being like, I'm a lots of holic of binging. Yeah. So for me, yeah, you know, work. And same. so. So now, like. Has that transferred to binging on healthier things or have you been able to really like control that? I kind of noticed and I don't know if it's, I, I, I asked my doctor, I'd like to take a dopamine, like just some test. Tell me what my dopamine levels are because I'm convinced they're completely low. I still struggle with depression at time to time. Anxiety is getting a lot better. I, I find the journaling and, and, you know, meditation, prayer is really helping that a lot. Um, but I do notice that I just, you know, a couple drinks, man, and I was a work machine. Like I could go, 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 go. And so I wonder, you know, chemically, what was I seeking out? You know, depression was was a thing at a very young age. The stuff I shared with you that 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 happened in my youth as well. Um, so I I really wonder about that. Um, but I'm getting better. It's more mm-hmm. of now I'm having to learn to give a shit in the right ways. You know, yeah. like like as simple as a note on my phone, brush your teeth, make the bed. You know, these simple things that I just like didn't do. You know, uh, yeah in my drinking and be like, Oh my God, I worked or, or having the kids and whatever it was. And it's like, man, did, have I showered in the last couple of days? <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm kind of getting to, uh, that, that, uh, working on just being a normal human being of self-care. I was just going to say self-care, you know, it's, that's such a huge thing. Like, especially as parents and stuff, I think we, we spend so much of our day revolving our time around our kids, our work, you know, the house, wh- whatever it is, you know, and having to remember just little, little things that you need to do for yourself. Um, you know, like you just said, keeping a list like that. I mean, I keep a list just, it just says meditation, it says read five pages, like very simple things in my phone, just things that bring me some happiness or some calm or whatever it may be because I'll go five days and forget to do them, you know? So like every couple of days I'll look at the list and be like, Oh man, I haven't done that in like three days. I need to do that. You know? And the moment I do it, it feels good, you know, and it does something for me. Um, So it's just like, it's, it's, it's very easy way to remember to take care of myself and do a few things just for me. Yeah, it's a necessity. I think I think it was a, a mentor of mine, this gentleman, Greg Champion. 
who said it, or I've rephrased it as, uh, you know, no outside solution for inside problems. And I think that was that binging doing like, oh my God, I did so much today at the radio station, you know, be it program two weeks of music and, you know, whatever the heck it was that it's like, did that need to be done? You know, but I was looking for something that wasn't really a reward that, that sits inside daily. You know, it doesn't reaffirm. It doesn't show me my value to myself, you know? And, and, um, for me, it's really about that, uh, that mastery of self, that guy in the mirror, you know, cause Hey, I, you know, we're not, no one's going to know us more than ourselves. Right. The concept to me of a soulmate is BS unless you're talking about the person in the mirror. Wow. Yeah, that's true. You know, cause I, I remember in the, in the, in the depths of my addiction, I remember one day walking up to my wife in, in like the middle of the hallway. Um, and I mean, this is when I was really going through it and I just stopped her in the hallway and I said, I don't know what is happening, but like, I love everything around me. I love you. I love the kids. I love so much about our life, but I hate myself. Mm-hmm. I hate myself. And she just looked at me like, sort of confused, you know, but, and and she didn't know what to do, but I had no idea at that time how to take care of myself because everything was outward, right? It's like my whole life was built around, well, if my job is going well and that looks good and I have a good amount of money in the bank and we're married and we have the house and we have two great kids, whatever, everything should be wonderful, you know? And this was when I was at the bottom, like uh, my bottom, and I, I was miserable. But I, I had no concept of how to figure that out because the only way I knew how to take care of myself was outwardly, yeah. you know, by 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 accomplishing things. Yeah, <laughs> very familiar. Did did you start? Was rehab really the first place you started to look inward? Yeah, I um during the pandemic I started reaching out to my brother, my mm-hmm. oldest brother on a on a regular basis and I can't even tell you why hmm. other than my brother is very spiritual and um he keeps it to himself. He doesn't push it on you unless you're asking him questions. Um and I didn't even know what I was asking him. Some days I was just asking him things about work or kids or whatever. And other days it was deeper um, about what was happening to us. Um, but it was the first time I was searching. You know, I didn't know what I was searching for, but I was looking for something. I was looking for some answers. Um, but I would listen to him a little bit or whatever, and then inevitably – Within an hour or two, I was I was drinking. Um, but that was the first time I looked. And then when I got to rehab, yeah, that that's when, you know, really looking inward and trying to figure out what was going on. Um, removing everything else is what was able to help that process. Just taking away the outside world for me, taking away my phone and 
you know, my job and everything, because I went during the pandemic, that was already gone at the moment, but just kind of taking away the daily stuff that I kept myself occupied with and just sitting and being quiet and listening to these other guys in the room, that was the first time I started to examine myself. You know, because when I walked in there and I first take a look around the room, I'm like, I'm not these guys, you know, (laughs) I'm not that guy or that guy. But when I finally started listening and I realized I'm just like that guy. Oh, and I'm just like that guy and really started listening. And then it made me start thinking about myself. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, as much as I hate the term rock bottom, I think it's an easy one for people to digest is they all think that for all of us, uh, you know, it's, we've lost our kids, our, our wives, our homes, our jobs, uh, been to jail and all those things. Granted, I did break out in the silver bracelets one time, uh, you know, but it, it's not always that case. Yeah. And like rock bottom for me, I mean, no, no one around me outside of my wife knew I even had a problem, mm. you know, so you didn't see it on me. Um, I could see it on me. My wife could see it on me, but you didn't, the average person wouldn't see it on me. I I was still in our house with our kids, you know, uh, everything was still, again, outwardly, everything was fine, you know, so there was no bottom for anyone else to see. The bottom was, was inside. I was, I was a mess and I was miserable and I finally didn't want to go on like that, yeah. you know, so, so I found what, what motivated me or pushed me. But I agree with you that that bottom, I think, is an unfair term because I think it's different for everybody. And it doesn't have to get to this this ugly physical place, you know, or like you said, you've lost everything. It doesn't have to be there. Um, It'd be better, I think, us doing things like this and the more that this grows, and there's more people talking about it. Hopefully they catch it at a much earlier stage than, you know, before they lose everything. Yeah. Yeah. A gentleman uh, who's become a a mentor for me, uh, Mark Gant, um, actor and Hollywood producer. Great guy. Amazing. But he was 19 when he got sober. And, and you know, it was like, wow, how could you? I hadn't even started using it. I, was, I wasn't <laughs> even off to the races yet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he put it real well. He was in a meeting and there was these old timers there and he was doing much like I had too. I'm not that guy. I'm not this guy. You know, whatever. I'm just a guy that, you know, primarily when I don't have my kids, uh, you know, I like to party and go out and chase chicks and whatever bullshit. Um, but he said a, a, an old timer looked at him and he goes, yeah, you're not yet like us. And he goes, you have yet to uh, lose a, a marriage, lose your job harm anyone or let alone kill them so you're only 19 but that's the only difference you have yet to reach these things but you're no different inside yeah yeah i i mean no truer words right it's it's all heading to the same place um you know and it's you know i consider myself incredibly fortunate you know it's like i give my wife so much i don't credit's not even the right word you know um, her willingness to not only stick by me through all of the years of it, 
you know, as unavailable as I was to her, um, still seeing the good in me and still trying to help me because she kept trying to help me over the years, over and over again. But then, you know, the moment I asked for help, she was the one who got me in rehab immediately. And as much as I thought when I walked out, when I got out of that car and I was walking into rehab, I thought she's gone. You know, she will not be there when I get home. And I would not have blamed her. Mm -hmm. um, she was there waiting for me when I walked out of that rehab center. And she's been nothing but a rock solid support since I got home and allowing me to keep my sobriety front and center, like priority number one, still over her because she knows I can't give her what she wants or needs if I'm not sober, you know, so her, her willingness to help figure it out. She doesn't understand everything, but her willingness to listen and try to understand, try to figure it out and just be what I need her to be on a daily basis. I mean, it's, she's insane. In incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. Cause I would love to say that I would do that for her. I don't know. You know, I wouldn't have had the patience for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I didn't even have the patience for myself. But, yeah. <laughs> uh well, and it goes to to show that that you know, love is a verb, man. It's action. It's not a feeling. Although we it's nice when we get those feelings and a lot of those are, you know, like I said, dopamine, serotonin and all these other great things that that happen that are necessary, but it is. It's an it's an action, man. Yeah. And 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 on a daily basis, you know, and that's that's part of like what I wasn't returning to her as much as I'll tell you how great she was to me. I gave none of that love back. You know, it's like, I thought the love back was buying her gifts, taking her to great dinners, um, you know, supporting her and the kids. I thought that was my love back to her. And I, I, I was completely unaware of, she would talk to me like two, three, sometimes four times a year. She would sit me down visibly upset and explain how unhappy she was. And I thought she was crazy. I was like, man, you're impossible to please. Mm -hmm. You know, what more do you want from me? And, and I really felt that way. I, I didn't grasp how unavailable I was to her, especially at the end of the night when the kids are asleep, you know, and now we can actually have some time together. I was already half in the bag, you know, and, and, and just not there for her in any way, emotionally, you know, intimately anything. And I, I did not understand that at all. So how you said love is a verb. It's like, she was giving me so much love in every way she could think of. And I, I was returning none of that. Yeah. Well, and I think that plays a lot into, you know, like I said, I you know, we're about two years difference in age, but that, that as a man, it was, you know, well, I'm being a good man, a good husband. If I, you know, I'm providing and, uh, you know, this, the spoiling, the gift giving and all these, you know, yes, don't get me wrong, provide, we need to, we need to have good shelter yeah. and, you know, all yeah. those things. But, 
but we don't need the the two hundred thousand dollars Mercedes Benz. That's not that's not love. That's a thing that devalues, can get destroyed, stolen. All these things. It's it. You know, I think it's hopefully a shift that's happening with men. Is it? Yes, it's great to do all those things, but if that's where you're valued, you're not really valued. No, and that's you know, I mean, I'll, to continue with my wife for a second, it's like what our relationship is now compared to what it was in active addiction. It's, it's so simplified. First of all, like all the complication is gone, you know, because I complicated everything. And now it's just, just talk. I can't even tell you how it happens. It's just conversation. It's the way I answer questions it's instead of trying to find my way out of every conversation with her i dig into the conversation and offer more to the conversation and we bond on a level that we never ever did before even when we were first together you know and you're you're first in love and you know it's like I try to remember what the hell did we even talk about when we first would lay in bed together or if I was on the road and we'd be on the phone for two hours. What did we talk about? Because God knows I wasn't sharing anything, you know, like, <laughs> right. and, and, and the way we bond now. But but then to your point about all the gifts and all that kind of stuff are great. But as a dad, I thought by taking my kids to all these awesome places taking them on these amazing vacations, taking them to Yankee games, doing all this different stuff with them. I was super dad. You know, I was, I was, I should have been dad of the year, you know? And I realized when I was at these things with my kids on vacation, right? At a Yankee amateur, I wasn't there with them. You know, it was like, I was consumed with, where's the waitress? I need another drink. Or, you know, half the reason I would go, I wanted to go to the afternoon Yankee games because I could start drinking at one o'clock. It was an excuse. Right. You know, I wasn't taking my kids to, to be there with them. And now in sobriety, I'm, I'm home. I'm hanging with my kids. We, I mean, we still do a lot of fun things, but sitting around the kitchen table, just <laughs> chatting about their day and, what they're thinking about or what they were watching on YouTube or something. We connect on a whole nother level now that I didn't even know existed as a dad. And I realize now like all they want is for me to be around them. You know, they don't care where we are as they don't care if we're in Cabo or if we're, you know, at our house in New Jersey, as long as I'm there with them, that's all they want, you know? And, Again, that should be obvious, but it was not obvious to me. No, it wasn't to me either. I mean, I, you know, I not to blame uh, my dad, but he didn't get that. I mean, he was living on his own by 14. So there wasn't a lot of models. Like when I went and hung out with my best friend who known since I was three is like, like, what is your dad? Your dad wants us to help him work on something. Like, and he's taught, what is this? Like, this is weird. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't even grasp it until adulthood. I was talking with him the other day. Here we are two 44 year old men. And, and I'm like, I still don't think your dad gets when I call him pops and tell him how much he meant to me 
like why he was just being who he is you know and so yeah. it's just such a foreign concept i guess to me is like you know i didn't get it you know yeah i don't know when you got home from rehab i've talked with other friends unfortunately i couldn't do rehab i did notice with people i started using a lot of uh, of our aa lingo with people and they're like dude what the what are you talking about an amends like what what does that mean you want to say you're sorry for something well it's a little more than a sorry you know like... <laughs> yeah um you know my wife and i we have a lot of healing to do right mm. it's um she's known me for over 16 years she's only known me one way as as an alcoholic um so yeah, I think just the way I speak to her, my demeanor, um, like you just said, <laughs> like slogans I'll use or, you know, words of wisdom that come out of my mouth. Sometimes she'll just look at me like, what? what? <laughs> like, <laughs> is that really coming out of your mouth? You know, right. um, she certainly likes this guy a lot more. Um, but there's, you know, there's there's a lot of explaining to do. There's a lot of learning to do from each other. Um, you know, I think the, the other people in my life, you know, different friends and stuff, um, I've really kind of wrapped my, my arms around the sober community. Um, that's who I spend most of my time with. Um, I've unfortunately at, through no fault of their own, but you know, my, my own choices, I've removed myself from a lot of friendships that I had because they were built on drinking. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't even know what's there beyond the drinking. And I'm not ready to really find out yet. I may be in the future, but right now I like the people that I'm surrounded with. So yeah, people see a difference in me. My family sees a difference in me. My wife does. Um, but I spend most of my days with, again, like-minded people. Um, who know what I'm trying to do, why I'm trying to do it, uh, whether it's whether it's in person or it's online in meetings or even um, like I built quite a social community on um, it's quite a sober community on social media. Yeah. And those are really the people I even stay in contact with on social media. So it's it's kind of just. The, the lingo we use is is kind of what I use all day long and it just feels normal to me and I think normal to most of the people that I'm I'm in contact with yeah no I I've uh, appreciated some of the stuff you've uh, shared on social media um why am I blanking on its name the gentleman that was Ellen's DJ when he committed twitch. twitch yeah you had a very just heartfelt genuine share in uh, like I personally got so much value out of that. Like, you know, I didn't know the gentleman. I can only say from people that, you know, did know him that have, you know, shared perspectives. And it's just, um, I think in a world of bullshit that we get inundated with on social media or people trying to be something else, it's, uh, you know, what you're doing is really refreshing and I'm letting, you know, I got something out of it and I appreciate it and please keep doing it. Because I'm still trying to find that confidence to share in that way beyond just, hey, I did a great podcast. Here's a good snippet. Please go listen. Like, you know, what is my inner voice? So stuff like that. It's uh, 
I'm not the only one. I know it. So, well, I mean, I thank you. I appreciate that. I, I was so full of shit for so long on social media. Um, you know, talk about living a lie. You know, I, when I was just talking about my kids and stuff, it's like, I would take my kids to the Yankee game and I made sure I got the good picture for social media so that everyone could see what a great dad I was, you know, but then I didn't, I didn't show you the part where I wasn't even talking to my kids because I was trying to get another beer and things like that, you know, and, and I was all about showing off whatever car I was driving and the vacation I was on. And God, it was like, that was exhausting in itself, you know, trying to keep up appearances, but it's like, you know, when I think about why I couldn't sleep at night, it was like, man, I, I didn't like who I was. I didn't like who I was pretending to be. I, I felt awful in every way about it, you know? So in, in while I was in rehab is, is when I made the decision that I was going to be honest with everyone. I didn't know I was going to be public about it, but I knew family, friends, colleagues, I'm going to be honest with them because I'm done lying. I, I just don't, I don't want to have to lie anymore. But then I realized even the way I communicate on a daily basis to anybody, you know, whether you know me or you didn't know me, it was all lies or half truths or whatever. And I said to myself, you know, what? I'm just I'm going to try to be honest in every way that I can. And whether I'm having a good day or a bad day or whatever it's going to be, um, I'm, I'm going to put that out there. And that included on social media. And it's like, you know. You bring up Twitch. It's like I I knew Twitch from So You Think You Can Dance and stuff, but we weren't, you know, we weren't friends. We were friendly. Um, but social media, again, it's like I was watching him from afar and it was like I was envious. <laughs> it was like he's got everything, you know, and it was such a smack in the face and such a reminder of, man, I mean, you never know. You know, it's like everybody thought that I was living this perfect life and it was so far from it. You know, it, it was the opposite of it. It was misery every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't know, you know, we don't, we, we don't know about anybody. Um, so. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I feel you. It's kind of what I try to carry that mantra forward of remembering we don't know what people are struggling with inside and it it takes takes no energy as a matter of fact you get a positive energy exchange just being a polite and good person it's what we're doing right now right so you know we went back and forth a couple times trying to work out the schedule you know like and for me like again one of the things i promised myself is because i'm so grateful for all the people who were willing to do interviews and podcasts and write books and everything about their sobriety because thank god for them that those are the people i really leaned on in i still do but especially like in my first year or so the moment i got out of rehab man i was grasping at anything i could find you know and i promised myself i will do this for anybody who will listen i will speak you know and just share my story and whatever my experience has been. And it's like, 
you contact me and ask me if I'll, I'll do this, it's an hour of my time. It's an hour of my week. Can I really not find an hour <laughs> to, yeah. to talk to you? When I think of how much time I waste <laughs> in my week doing whatever I'm doing, admittedly, like scrolling on TikTok, because I like to do that a little bit. <laughs> you know, can I, can I not find an hour to share my experience a little bit and talk? And like you said, I walk away from here feeling fantastic. You know, it's a, it's a therapy session. Yeah, it is. Uh, Dan, I, you know, I could, uh, I could talk forever and, um, I just want to touch on this one cause I screenshotted this, this tweet from you. Cause I'm pretty sure I follow you from every personal account. In addition to this, where is it at? Uh, I don't remember when you said it. Um, God, it might've been just a couple days ago or yesterday for that matter. For the first 31 days I spent in rehab, I never asked for my phone, never even took a peek at it. Guess what I missed? Nothing. And I was like, retweet that. <laughs> From the guy who just told you he likes to scroll on TikTok. <laughs> hey, Dan, I gotta admit, I've I've got I, I love theme parks and my my budget right now isn't to visit them. So I have this game where you build your own theme park. It's like a theme park tycoon. Trust me, buddy. I'm sure my my screen time's gonna jump up a little too much. I'm you know, like showing my my partner. I'm showing, hey babe, take a look. I, I just got I just built a new roller coaster. Right. right. Great, huh? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, no, I um it's so true. You know, it's like <clears throat> before I went to rehab in active addiction, I was I had this obsession with my phone, right? And I, like, I was the guy who was always on it. You know, it's funny, you'll relate to this. I was on it, right? It's like, if I sent an email, I'd be counting the minutes until that email got responded to. Sometimes it would take the person three days. And, you know, in my head, I'm going, how, who the hell do they think they are not responding to, you know, whatever. But no doubt the moment they responded to me, bam, I got back to them like immediately. And I would check my phone incessantly all day long for emails, for comments on posts, for, you know, text messages, whatever it was, thinking everything was urgent, mm -hmm. thinking everything was a big deal, right? Everything was a big deal. I stressed out over everything. It didn't matter how big or small. I made it a big deal. And I went into rehab and, you know, that first week they force you to, to not have your phone, which I thought, how am I going to, how am I going to survive? You know, how is the world going to go on without me having <laughs> my phone? And I got through that first week and I said to myself, I don't think I want to look at my phone. I, I was in such a good place after just whatever it was, six days at that point or something that I said, I don't want to ruin this by digging back into my phone. And I don't know what gave me that wherewithal, but I was like, I'm gonna stay off it. And I ended up staying off it the whole time. And the day I got out, after seeing my wife and seeing my kids and whatever, somewhere in that day, I sat down and I, I turned my phone on. <laughs> I mean, there was nothing there. <laughs> there wasn't an email or a text message or anything that couldn't go unresponded to, you know, that couldn't wait until now, you know, now that I had the time. 
And it, it just, it reinforced this, like, nothing is that big of a deal. Nothing is so important, so urgent that it needed me at that moment, you know, and that ability to just turn it off once in a while, shut out all the noise um, that we all get caught up in all the time. It's not important, you know, and it's fun and it's helpful. It can be educational. It, there, there's so much you can get from having that phone in your hand. I get that. Um, but man, you, you get rid of it sometimes and it's amazing what you can get from it. Yeah. I think this just dawned on me while you were sharing that. And thank you. I hadn't thought of this way is, is I let that phone make me a tool as opposed to using it as a tool. Yeah. And that's absolutely not the way it should go. No, but it does. You become a slave to it, you know, and there is, there's obviously a benefit to being able to get an in instant contact with people and, and things like that. There's benefits to all of it, but it's like you emailed me about coming on your podcast, you know, and I got back to you pretty quick, I think, whatever, but yeah. let's say I didn't get back to you for a month. Where are you going? You know, it's like, you're still going to be, hopefully still going to be there doing the podcast. And I would do it a month later and be like, Hey man, sorry, I was caught up and no problem. Let's find a time to do it. You yeah. know, um, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I just had a, a guest, Eric Bischoff. I don't know if you recognize the name, ran yeah. WCW, you know, all that NWO. That took over two years to make that conversation happen. So I've definitely acquired some patience. So, yeah. it, and it's nothing other than that he was bi really busy and he's like, hey, I'm going to be working on a new book. So it wasn't that he was being a chair. It was just like, hey, let's find something that's advantageous to both of us. Cool. No worries. Yeah. But <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's what people choose to make time for. Right. right. It's like I said, this is something I believe is important for me to make time for in my day now for myself and for hopefully for other people who are who are listening. You know, other people have different priorities in their lives. Who am I to judge? So if someone's not answering my email, I don't know what they're doing. Like how we just talked about. I don't know what's going on in their life. You know, so I'm not their priority. You know, they'll get back to me if and when they want to or they can it's it's our connectivity to stories we tell ourselves you know yeah it, it really is so much of of how we mold our lives ourselves and it's still the stuff i'm working like talking about insecurities and things of that nature it's it's really a story we've told ourselves and remain connected to it takes us out of a moment it either future tripping which you know anxiety or past stuff that events probably didn't even happen that way depression you know, yeah. so for me, I got to I try to get in the middle the best I can. But, Absolutely. Uh, well, of course, if you want to check out Dan's podcast, Dan Carity, if I'm being honest, it's great. I mean, you know, again, we've got mutual friends. You've had some people on there. It's like, boy, I might have to. These people are wonderful. I'm going to at least have to make correspondence and get to know them somehow. Um but I love it. Subscriber folks, the link is in the podcast description. So Please check it out. All right, Dan, here's some random questions for you. Let's just have some fun. Huh? As the British would say, shits and giggles. All right. 
5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. Uh, you could have dinner with any one person, living or not. Who are they? Holy cow. Uh, living or not. I don't know why he just came to mind, but uh, I'll go with Michael Jordan. Um, just show me the way, man. You know, right. how to get it done. Yeah, people say that the trick with Michael, and I know it was touched on in the, the Bulls, the documentary, um, where he just had the ability to be in the moment. Yeah, that's yeah. it, right? He And he, there was no fear. Right. Because he was just in the moment, he wasn't thinking about the outcome of, you know, what's this going to do to tomorrow or to the series or whatever. And he wasn't thinking about if he missed or made that same shot in that moment in the past, you know, in past games or whatever. He was just in the moment, loved being in the moment. So he he, he relished those those opportunities. Yeah. And there was another, I think it was that series against the Pacers where somebody's saying something like in the locker room or something like, you guys could lose. And he pulls them aside like, don't tell these freaking guys that. They don't think like I think. You tell them that, that we could lose, they're going to lose. They're I'm not. Lose. You know, yeah. and it's just kind of like, man, that's some, you know, on top of it stuff. Yeah, it's it's his mindset about things. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily, like he, he was also like a, I'll step over anybody on my way there. You know, I don't necessarily adhere to that principle, but his mindset for himself and how he was going to approach from training and practice and all that, that he gave to Kobe as well. Right. And he, he passed those things on to Kobe. Like they, you know, everybody talks about their, their heroics in the games, you know, but those are just the moments we all saw. It was like their heroics and how they prepared for those moments are what were truly special. And, you know, I'd love to dig into that a bit. Yeah. Uh, I wish we had more time or this is a format where we could talk dancing in your career a little bit more. But I do got to know three of your biggest influences because you went a different direction from your folks. Yeah. I mean, you know, similar influences, though. Um, you know, my parents had me watch from a young age like fred astaire and gene kelly people like that um you know so they paved the way obviously um and then it's impossible not to say michael jackson as as a dancer and a choreographer there was never anybody better um than him um but in our if we if we go into our own lifetime um you know justin timberlake is one of those guys that Hmm. i worked with i learned more from him than he learned from me you know, I was supposed to be a choreographer and a director on the job, but watching his work ethic and his attention to detail um, and just his determination to get the most out of himself uh, was always inspiring. And uh, yeah, I learned so much from from my time working with him. 
Yeah. He's one of those high achievers. It'd be a, a, a pleasure to talk. He's one of those people, too, that just kind of pick that brain, those high achievers, those that, that just have that motor. It's like, man. You know, yeah. I thought I, I I think of myself as hardworking, but there's some people like there's a Whoa. different level there, man. There's a different yeah. level. There's there's no, I don't know. He just he always feels like I could get a little more out of that. That could be better, you know. Um, and he's willing to put in the time to study or to rehearse or whatever whatever that project took for him to take it to another level. He always did it. Yeah, he he's. I put him in that area of like a Tom Cruise and people think whatever you want about his spirituality, religious beliefs, who cares? But that what the guy does, like, I'm not only going to redo a sequel to Top Gun, we are going to go train and we are literally going to fly. You know, it's like, that's not normal people's stuff. No, it's like, we see our limit like here, right? We're trying to work to that limit. Their limit is somewhere much higher beyond yeah what what we comprehend as a limit absolutely uh pet peeve what can still get under your skin <laughs> i mean admittedly traffic oh um just being slow I, I think it's you know like from from growing up in like the new york new jersey area it's very go 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 you know so slowing down it took me like i work in europe a lot trying to understand their pace at dinner and things mm. like that or anytime i go down south you know um i i just it's patience you know i guess that's ultimately what it is it's having patience for traffic or having patience for somebody who moves at their own pace i've gotten so much better at this um but i still have a long way to go because uh I'm still an impatient person. <laughs> That's the same. I spent a summer in New Jersey, Patterson, so I kind of got to see that firsthand and going through New York. Granted, you know, it, traffic sucks where I'm at, but it's not LA level. So it's, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you on that. Well, and you did a movie, what was it? The Netherlands, right? You had like the number one movie in the Netherlands or something at, about a decade ago. So yeah, Europe totally different. Like we're going to have a siesta. It's like, how do you get gas between noon and two? Like everybody's on break. Dude, it's it's totally different. I didn't understand it at all at first. You order a coffee and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. It's like there's no rush, but there's a beauty to it as well. Um, and I would realize it always takes me a couple days when I go over there. But once you sort of acclimate to to their pace it's a much nicer way. Like it's yeah. everybody you're relaxed, you know, yeah. and you don't feel like you're in a rush. And cause I was the type, I was in a rush for no reason. You know, it's, I have nowhere to be and I'm still weaving my way through traffic. You know, it's, it's a better way, better way to be. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, let's, what's another fun one for you. Oh, being that you are a performer. So you've got uh, one music artist, greatest hits and one movie when you're stranded on a deserted island, what are they? You can only take one greatest hits from a music artist and one movie with you. Oh, boy. I would, I would probably, again, say Michael. Um, it would be hard for me not to, just because I can get so many different moods out of his music. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go Michael, but 
movie um, is Goodwill Hunting. Uh. And the reason for that is, you know, I think we get hit by things at different points in our life. Goodwill Hunting came along at a time in my life that so many different messages in that movie just stuck with me. Mm. Uh, and to this day, whenever I need a little boost, I'll watch that movie like on a plane or something. And it'll just give me that, that good feeling, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and keep me going. I need to revisit that. You talking about it makes me think for me, the most pivotal scene, and it wasn't always, it used to be, how do you like them apples? Cause it's kind of like, ah, you know, that screw you, but yeah. it's now, you know, the scene with Robin Williams after, um, you know, his wife is insulted and it's the next session and he, he sets a boundary like, yeah. you know, and, and makes himself known. And that vulnerability is like, wow, that's the, you know, here's a man laying it all out there and, and to follow with that, you know, my wife used to fart so loud she'd wake herself. It's like, you know, how, <laughs> yeah. that's the good stuff. Like how beautiful is that? You know, uh. it's so true. He talks about the, those idiosyncrasies. He says, those are the things that you really love about them, you know? And it's, it's so true. It's those things at first that annoy you, about someone you know you you grow to love those things hopefully you know and those are some of the main things you'll remember about them uh you know when geez when they're gone you know yeah dan this has been an absolute pleasure um i give you the floor for final thoughts anything you'd like to lend to anyone maybe it's an individual struggle like you and i with addiction or a loved one or just you know some people that are just looking for some hope yeah, I, you know, it's, I always go back to the simplest thing. Uh, and I've said this so many times and I'll say it a million times again, because I thought it was ridiculous when I first heard it in rehab, when they told me just take it one day at a time. And I was, I was so annoyed by that. I was like, Oh, keep your one day at a time stuff. You know, <laughs> it's like, how many more days do I have of rehab here? You know, but the truth behind that is not letting yourself get overwhelmed. Um, you know, as far as just drinking, you know, trying to think so far ahead and trying to think, gosh, I'm never going to drink again. I'll never, I'll never drink at another giant game again. I'll never, I won't be able to toast at my daughter's wedding when she gets married, you know, things like that. It, it, it almost felt like it was too much and it was out of reach. And that's where that whole one day at a time thing really came into play. And I realized all I have to do is stay sober today and I'll deal with tomorrow when, when I get there. And that made it all attainable. Um, and I've rolled that over into so many different things in my life where, you know, if I, if I, if my anxiety starts to rise and I'm getting overwhelmed with how much I have to do today, Oh, I got, I have to do this for work and that for work. And I have this podcast and I have this interview and, then I have to go pick up my kids and all that kind of stuff. If I'll just break it off and just say, all right, just today, here's what I need to do. These are the things I need to get done. And I can deal with that other stuff tomorrow and just make everything more manageable. Then I can handle it, you know, and I don't get overwhelmed. My anxiety doesn't get too high and uh, it just makes the day manageable. And I can go to bed feeling comfortable with what I got to and, knowing I can handle what's coming for me the next day. 
This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma, to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the Knocking Doors Down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.